and also going to be going to Amos chapter 5. Proverbs 21 and 22, and going to be going to Amos chapter 5 here pretty soon into this study as well. Happy Mother's Day to all. Thank you for your ministry and service as a mother. And as you leave, please grab a flower back there to get a chance to say thank you for what you do, to let you know you're encouraged and prayed for it. It's also a great way to support life, uh, with right to life back there as well. So those are going to be back there for you as well as you leave. So Proverbs 21, 22, Amos 5. Let's do the smart thing and let's pray. Good to be here this morning. And Lord, we just want to pray that we just don't hear it, but we really listen, we really apply it, and then we go out and live it. Let you be glorified in this, let the saints be equipped, and let your salvation be presented, Lord. All that matters is you, and help us to really mean that in your name. Amen. Continue our stay here through the book of Proverbs. You guys have been with us. You know how we're doing this. We're going to be doing Proverbs 21 and 22. We find a verse that kind of sets the tone for the day. And then we find the other verses in these chapters that build off of that. And so our foundational verse here for Proverbs is going to be this today. Proverbs 21 verse 3. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. That's what we're going to build off today. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Now, to truly understand this, we need to break down what these words mean. What's the word righteousness mean? You've heard this before. It just means to be made right. It's just a fancy word to be made right. When you have righteousness, that means you are right. Now, we're going to get to later on this study how the only righteousness we have is through Christ. But for right now, righteousness means to be made right. This word for justice is a unique word. It means to be right... But it carries to be right, to be lawful with the idea of according to the law, according to the rules, that we're following the rules that God has laid out. Good old King James was out there. Yours says justice and judgment, still the same words. But this idea of to be right and to be just. One of the things I tell my boys a lot when they come to me with a scenario or situation, and there's multiple layers to the scenario and situation. And you feel like you need to have the wisdom of Solomon to know how to handle these life things going on in the urban home. Sometimes I just sum it up by saying this. Just just do the right thing. You guys all confess Christ. You guys all have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Just do the right thing. And that's what I'm asking us to do here this morning is to stop and say, where is my righteousness? It's not through me. I can't do the right thing. It has to be through Christ. So our goal today is to understand what it means to do what's right and to do what is just. Now this is where I need to take you though to Amos chapter 5, please. Amos 5. If you were with us Wednesday, you know we finished with this passage. And the reason I'm going back to this passage is this. Because so often we base our relationship with Christ off of what we do. So therefore, since I pray, since I go to church, since I study, since I witness, since I do this, I am right with God. You are right with God through what Christ did on the cross. You're right with God because Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, meaning I've taken care of all the punishment and all the debt that you owe. Let me stress this point. You can never get right with God by doing things. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, not of works. It is a gift of God. Look at here at Amos chapter 5 and listen to the strong, strong wording of the Lord. Amos 5, 21. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. A little bit of background here. Amos is written at a time where things are actually going pretty good for the nation of Israel. 
Here's the deal, though. If you ever study out the Old Testament, anytime things were going good for the nation of Israel, they usually didn't do good spiritually. Blessings did not equate depth for the nation of Israel. The better things went for them, usually the farther they got away from the Lord, and they would turn back to God when things got difficult. Things are going good for them, and God is now looking at them 21 and saying, but spiritually speaking... I hate what you're doing. Look at these words again. I hate, I despise your feast days, and I do not savor your sacred assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor I regard your fatted peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody of your stringed instruments, but let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. What is God saying? I hate your sacrifices. I hate your little services. I hate your fastings. And I hate your worship. Because you guys are doing it just to get favor with me and you're not doing it because your heart is mine. God wants your heart. And what he wants is 24. Let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. It goes back to Proverbs. There's our words. Justice and righteousness. And righteousness, some of your translation says, righteous living. I can't stress to you enough the severity of 21 through 23. God is saying, I don't want any more animal sacrifice. I don't need any more fastings. I don't need any more services. And I don't need any more worship. Because I want your heart. Once I get your heart, all those things will come properly. All those things will come right. But I got to get your heart first. So I have to stop right now before we get any further in this message. I just got to ask you guys, does the Lord have your heart? Now, he's got your religious service because you're here this morning. I'm willing to bet that you guys would at least say you have some desire to know more about God. So you have this religious attitude. Some of you probably even brought a Bible. So you have this idea of learning and knowing God's word. You hopefully sang during worship. You at least have this idea of you want to worship him. Okay, those are all great. But does he have you? Does he have you? I was reading a commentary about this, and he summed it up very nicely. And he was talking about the nation of Israel right here. And that great verse in Isaiah that we quoted on Mark on Wednesday night as we're going through Mark there, about your lips acknowledge me, but your heart is far from me. So what does that look like to have your heart far from the Lord? Here's the problem. You can attend church, but your heart's far from the Lord. You can read your Bible, but your heart can be far from the Lord. You can pray eloquently, contribute money, do ministry, and your heart be far from the Lord. You can love to sing, and you can talk to others about Jesus, but your heart be far from the Lord. It's amazing what you can do, and your heart's not there. You guys are at church right now. That doesn't mean your heart's here. Singing. We just sang some worship songs. You may even sing along. Doesn't mean you're worshiping, your heart wasn't there. This is where we got to be careful. The Lord wants you. And that's the basis of what we're talking about here this morning. Is this idea, is God is saying back to Proverbs 21.3, to do righteousness as justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. He's not looking for religious hoops to jump through. He's looking for your heart. And when he has your heart, all these other things will come. So we need to talk about what that looks like. Guess what the blessing is when you give God your heart? Take a look at 21.15. It is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. It's actually a joy to do what's right. Think about that. I don't know about you guys. When I do what's right, it doesn't make it easy, doesn't make it comfortable sometimes, but there's a joy. 
There's just a joy. When I am doing what's right in the Lord, my marriage goes better, ministry goes better, everything just goes better. And there is a joy in the Lord because I'm doing what is right. I don't get the joy by doing what's right, but by doing what is right, the side effect of that is joy. It's just just this beautiful system that God has set up. And God is saying, listen, if you desire me, if you give me your heart and you put me first, you will get joy. He wants us to want him. This is what the Bible means when God says that he is a jealous God. This is not junior high jealousy where God does not have high self-esteem. What this is, is he is saying, I know what is good and right for you. And so therefore, if you seek me with all your heart and put me first, you will be blessed. So he says, I am jealous for you because you want me and you will be blessed. Understand that desire that God has for you to want him. Once again, not low self-esteem because he is the best thing and he wants you to have what is best. Don't you do that as parents? You want what's best for your kids? You're jealous for them? I have a tendency to do a lot of the grocery shopping at our house. Because I'm out and about doing things. Dawn's got a lot of ministry and things going on at home. So I'll go out and do the grocery shopping. And it's quite the ordeal to go do the grocery shopping. Like I said, we're shopping for you know seven kids. There's nine of us. And what happens is, is this. Dawn makes a list. And she makes the list of everything she wants. She then gives me the list. And we've learned now, after years of being together, I need to go through the list with her before I go to the store. You know, we'll be married 23 years, and I'm still not fluent in Dawn. I can speak it, but I'm not fluent in it. So sometimes when she writes down, I get to the store, and I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about here. And so I'll have to call her, and there's times I'll be like, just stay on the phone with me the whole time and talk me through Walmart. So I went to go get groceries this week, and uh, a couple of things that were on there. She wanted macaroni and cheese because, you know, obviously with the, with the little girls, you know, they like macaroni and cheese. So I got the craft macaroni and cheese. But then she wanted me to go get elbow macaroni, which I just want to tell you, I think it's the weirdest thing in the world. I've never, you know, who wants elbow macaroni? But I get it now, elbow macaroni. And then she wanted me to go get cheese, lots of cheese. Pounds of cheese. So most of the time I just get what I'm supposed to get, don't ask questions, and just go. At this point, I have to contact her and say, why am I literally buying pounds of cheese, elbow macaroni when I'm getting Kraft macaroni and cheese? Because she's going to start making her own macaroni and cheese for the kids. Now, because she's jealous for her children, it's going to be healthier, it's going to taste better, it's all this stuff. I said, do you not realize Kraft makes it? For like 99 cents a box. And it's really simple. You boil water, noodles, put the mixture in, and it's really good. No. She says, this is going to be better. It's going to be better for them. It's going to be better ingredients. It's going to be better whatever. And she is jealous for her family. So therefore, she wants what's best for them. Amen. No, not amen. Because. (laughs) No. I'm the one buying it. I'm the one finding it. I'm the one bringing it home. Craft comes in one box. And it's all right there. Amen to craft. So now the point is, she is jealous for her family and she wants what's best for them. God is jealous for you. So he says, hey, shut the TV off and spend time in the Word. Why, Lord? You got low self-esteem? No, because this is what's best for you. Don't date her. Why? You don't want me to be happy? No, because this is what's best for you. Keep your eyes on me. 
And so the result of this seeking the Lord and giving him your whole heart is verse 15. You get joy. So now I have to ask you another question. Do you have joy? If you don't have joy, now I have to ask you another question. Are you seeking him with all your heart? Because maybe you're not. And I don't say that to pick. I say to say, hey, maybe if you're not giving him everything, maybe you're not walking in that joy. Because you're still trying to fight for your piece of the pie. Remember what we talked about a few Sundays ago in Resurrection Sunday. When you lose your life is when you gain your life. That's what Jesus said. This is amazing thought process. The more I let go of and the more I die to, the more I have in the Lord. Because I'm not fighting for things. And I just wonder sometimes, are we constantly fighting for more and therefore we don't have joy? Because take a look at the flip side of verse 15. Destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. Destruction comes. Verse 7, chapter 21. The violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. I refuse to give you my heart, Lord. I refuse to do righteousness. I refuse to do justice. And guess what's going to happen? I'll be destroyed. Some of your translations in verse 7 says, dragged away, swept away. This idea of you just keep getting farther and farther away from the Lord. Farther and farther away from Him. Proverbs 22, verse 8. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow, and the rod of his anger will fall. If you sow iniquity, you will reap sorrow. We use this analogy a lot out here. We live in a farming community. Hopefully soon, you'll be able to get in the fields, and you're going to put corn in, and guess what you're going to harvest this fall? Corn. You're going to put beans in, and what you're going to harvest? Beans. That's the way it works. You're not going to go put 60 acres of corn, then come back this fall and say, I don't know where the wheat came from. You put corn in. That's what you're going to get. The Bible makes it clear in Galatians 6, 7 through 8. Whatever I sow is what I will reap. That's exactly what Proverbs 22, 8 is telling me here. If I sow iniquity, I'm going to reap sorrow. If I choose not to walk in the will of God, I will reap sorrow. It will just happen. You run into people that are... Older in life, maybe 40s, 50s, 60s, and you start talking to them and you realize the sorrow they have in life. Failed relationships and marriages and relationships with kids and family members and jobs, whatever. And you was like, what happened? Well, then you go back and you analyze and you talk to them. For decades, they sowed iniquity. You're going to reap sorrow. Now, God is a God of grace, love, compassion, forgiveness. We're going to get to that. And even though you have sown in iniquity, God will forgive you and he can make you brand new. That's the beauty of the gospel. But the reality of this life is this. If I sow iniquity, I'm going to reap destruction. I'm going to reap sin. Take a look at Proverbs 21, 21. He who follows righteousness and mercy... Finds life, righteousness, and honor. How simple is this? 22.8, I sow iniquity, sin, I reap sorrow. 21, I follow, 21.21, I follow righteousness and mercy, I get life, righteousness, and honor. This to me is an absolutely no-brainer. Do you want sorrow or righteousness? I want righteousness. Okay, well then, follow righteousness. Give God your heart. Take a look at the three descriptions there in 21. Life, righteousness, and honor. Life. I get life. What's life? Jesus' life. John 14, 6. I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus' life. John 10, 10. The thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have more life. 
and have it more abundantly. John 1 verse 4, in Him, in Jesus, was life. Christ is life. So I want Christ. Next one, 21. Righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. He, Jesus, that knew no sin, became sin for us, so that in Christ we might have the righteousness of God. I am incapable of getting righteousness on my own. I have to get righteousness from God. Incapable. I can never do enough good, never do enough good, to make myself good in the eyes of God. Absolutely never. Never. Find your righteousness in Christ. The problem is people still think they can earn righteousness. They can't. You can never do enough good to open the gates of heaven for you. Never. Oh, you can do a lot, but you'll never do enough good. We were doing some outreach one time uh, up in Toledo, and we were at a Muslim mosque and uh, talking to the Muslims after their prayer service. And the subject came up just about righteousness and assurance of salvation, etc. And I was talking to one of the guys, and I asked him, I said, what do you need to do to have assurance of salvation? And I know what it is. I understand what they're talking about. They have the whole scale things. Do more good than what you do bad. You know, if you've ever studied it out, the idea of Ramadan, that you have this month of fasting to do good, to show your heart. And it's, it's a workspace, trying to do more good than bad. But he said something really interesting. He said, as he lays in bed at night, he's hopeful that he's done enough good. To, to have salvation. I said, that's the difference between you guys and Christianity. I explained to him the beauty of the assurance of salvation. Not, not through my works, but through Jesus Christ. This guy has done more works than I have. He has memorized the entire Quran. Now listen, I love the Bible. And I, and I, I try to study the Bible a lot. And I, I'm trying to memorize passages. I mean, I really, my heart wants to know God's word. I, I have not memorized this book. He has memorized it, but it doesn't gain him any righteousness. See, here's the danger of trying to seek your own righteousness. You make up your own rules. I have read my Bible that earns me righteousness, not according to God. I give money that's earned me righteousness, not according to God. I have memorized an entire book of the Bible. That earns me righteousness, not according to God. So what happens is, is you go stand before God at the end, and you bring your righteousness to Him. Look at everything I've done. God says, yeah, the only righteousness I accept is Jesus Christ's righteousness. Did you have His? Well, no, because I've done all these other things. It's nothing to me. It's nothing. It has to be the righteousness of Christ. Those are the rules that God made. Sinless sacrifice has to pay for sinful man. 2 Corinthians 5.21. What else do we see there in 21? Finds life, righteousness, and last one, honor. That's a really interesting one because you don't think of us getting honor. But that word is used in Psalm 8.5 where it says that He, God, has made us a little lower than the angels and He has raised us to honor. Only honor I have is through God. Think about this. According to the Bible, I'm a pile of dirt and dust. And Jesus died for me. My honor, my glory comes through Christ and Christ alone. So any honor I have is God crowns us with honor, according to Psalm 8, 5, because of who Jesus Christ is. I'm going to go back and repeat this very simple point. 22, 8, you sow iniquity, you reap sorrow. 21, 21, you follow righteousness and mercy, you get life, righteousness, and honor. That is the simplicity of what we're trying to say. Now, why do I need righteousness, though? 21.4, please. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. 
The plowing of the wicked are sin. Some of yours talks about the idea of the lamp. Whatever I do, apart from Christ and his righteousness, is just evil. You ever think about that? To the point of 21.4, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. I'm doing it apart from the Lord. Isaiah 64.6 says this, that all of my works are like filthy rags. Everything I do is evil, unless it's in Christ. Because it's me trying to earn something. See, and that's, that's the problem. We don't look at it that way. Lord, I did good. I went to church. I read. I prayed. I, I gave. I served. I did these things, Lord. And God's going to say, did I have your heart? Well, I mean, I don't know, but I did these things. That should earn me something. No. Because when I'm not right with Christ, when I don't have Jesus, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Because why? Take a look at 21.10. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. My soul, my innermost being apart from Christ is this evil. And if you don't believe this is true, just stop and please don't share these thoughts out loud. Think about some of the things that go through your mind. Think about the way you think about people. Think about the things you say in your head. Think about the things that your mind wanders to. That is just an evilness that is not of God. My innermost being is at war with God. And that's why I have to have peace through Christ and Christ alone. And if you think any type of religious thing is going to make favor with God, it goes back to Amos 5. He says, I don't want your dead animals. I don't want your songs. I don't want your fasting. I want you. If you think any type of memorizing a book of the Bible or anything like that or any type of catechism, confirmation, baptism are going to do anything, those things can all have good in their own and help you go deeper in the Lord, but they can't save you. Take a look here at Proverbs twenty-one twenty-seven. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. So that means even my sacrifices are an abomination and are evil, like it said in Amos, when my heart's not right with the Lord. That's why it's so vitally important to get right with Christ. We have a tendency in Christianity today to preach morality. Oh, you're not saved? I want to see you stop cussing more. I want to see you start living more purely. I want to see you read more. I want to see you do these more moral things. No, I want to see you born again in Jesus Christ. And once you're saved, guess what? The outside morality would change because the inside has changed. Think back to John chapter 3. Nicodemus comes up to Jesus. And Nicodemus does this great buttery verse to him. Oh, great teacher, we know that you teach the things of God. We know how great and wonderful you are. Jesus looks at him and says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You've got to get saved. Think about the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus said, you know, do this, do this, do this. And the rich young ruler, the Bible says, went away sad. Why? Because the rich young ruler was trying to look at salvation through doing stuff. And Jesus said, I want your heart. Nothing has changed in 2,000 years. God wants your heart. He doesn't want more religion. Take a look at verse 27 again. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? Think how life-changing this would be to a Jew 2,000 years ago. All the animals you killed, if your heart wasn't right with the Lord, it meant absolutely nothing. And before you think this isn't fair, take a look at 21.12. 
The righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. God doesn't do any snap decisions. He takes a look at verse 12, and he considers the house of the wicked. He knows us. Any judgment that comes from God is going to be fair, it's going to be just, and it's going to be honest. 21.18, the wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright. you got two things going on there in 21.18, folks. you got wicked and unfaithful, you have righteous and upright. Which one are we? Which one are we? The problem is 2129. A wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes way. A wicked man hardens his face. Hardens his face. We, we, we take our heart, our face, and we get harder and harder to the things of the Lord. Think about that for a second. We get harder and harder to the things of the Lord. Where We don't even care anymore about what God thinks. The second part of 29, the upright, he establishes his way. He gives thoughts to their ways, some of your translation says. The virtuous think before they act. Isn't that what it's supposed to be, guys? Instead of hardening your heart towards him, you start thinking things through. Just, I want to ask you this. Before you do something, any words you speak, any commitments you make, any actions you do, can you just ask yourself, does this glorify God? Will this glorify God? Number two, will this take me deeper in Jesus or farther away? If this doesn't glorify God, why would I do it? If this won't take me deeper in Jesus or take me farther away, why would I do it? I consider my ways. I don't harden my face towards the things of God. I don't harden my heart towards the things of God. I stop and say, if this action will not glorify Him, if this action is not right and it will not take me deeper in Him, then why am I doing it? Because if not, I'm going to harden my face. I'm going to harden my way. There's a danger in thinking you're right. Jump back to 21.2. Every way of man is right in his own eyes. But the Lord weighs the heart. I have had people come into my office and tell me, Thus saith the Lord, completely, utterly, unbiblical things. And I'm thinking, God did not tell you to do that. But you have so convinced yourself that God has. And that is a dangerous place to be. Because we always think we're right. Go with God's standards. 21.16, please. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. Careful of wandering away from truth, folks. Be careful of those little sins that become big sins. Careful of those little compromises. Careful of those little things. You'll wander away and you'll rest in the assembly of the dead. You'll become spiritually dead. Two more passages and we're done. 22.24, please. Not only be careful yourself of wandering away, be careful of being around those that are wandering away. Look at twenty-two, twenty-four. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man do not go, lest you learn his ways and send a snare for your soul. i got to be careful that I don't wander away from the truth and harden my heart towards the Lord. i got to be careful of who I hang around with, too. This does not mean that you do not associate with non-believers. This does not mean that you don't be around unsaved people. Go represent Jesus Christ to them. What this is saying is this. 25, be careful of who you are investing in and allowing themselves to be invested in you because you will learn their ways and set a snare for your soul. It will cause problems for your soul, endanger your soul, entangle your soul. Bad company corrupts righteousness, it says in the New Testament. 
We always think that we're going to be the light of influence to bring the evil, shine it away. Where the Bible says actually the opposite happens until that person is born again and saved. When you get involved with them, it's going to bring you down. You've got to be careful that you do not get involved with that and it pulls you away. Now, this is why I want to finish with. Can you go with me to Psalm 103? This has been a pretty straightforward message. God just wants your heart. He doesn't want more religion. He doesn't want more works. He wants you. He's jealous for you. He loves you. And we have to be careful that we're not hardening our heart to this. And we've got to be careful we're not pulling away. We're not getting entangled in things that we shouldn't be. Understanding how evil I am and how righteous he is. And the only way I can have righteousness is through him. So we, we got the one side of the coin pretty good. I want to flip the coin over to finish with Psalm 103. And I want to tell you now about the grace, mercy of your God. That loves us evil people. And wants to make us right in him through what Christ did. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and all that is with me, bless his holy name. My soul, my innermost being. Just as God wants my heart, my innermost being, Lord, I want you. I I don't want the surface relationship Christianity. I just don't want to show up and feel good for an hour. I don't want to just fake it. Lord, I really desperately desire you. All that is within me, Two, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. I told you all the benefits of sin, iniquity, sorrow, pain, lack of joy. We went through all that today. What's all the benefits now of the righteousness of Christ? Three, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems you your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. Well, that that needs to be read again. Eight. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. I shouldn't be here. You shouldn't be here. It should be one and done, zapped and gone. It should be. We are sinners from the day we're born. We are. And it always blows my mind when I run into somebody who will not accept that thought. You, you, even if you don't have kids, you've been around them. Sin. You know, we got twin girls that we just absolutely love. And the one of them has this tendency now to go over to the other one to bop her in the head with the teacup and walk away laughing. I pick on Dawn a lot, but Dawn did not train them to do that. I did not train them to do that. Their little sinful hearts trained them to do that from an early age. And to stop and think in 10, he has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. That's grace and mercy. That if you are here this morning and you are not saved, that God is still allowing you to walk and have breath in your lungs because he loves you. 
And he says, I'm still patient, hoping that you come around. 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as far as he has removed our transgressions from us, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. That's the other side of the coin. The gracious, merciful, forgiving God. Worship team, we're going to come forward for the final song. You still finishing with, come to the altar? Um, finishing with.